The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, my friends. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Thank you for being with us. If you are visiting, please make yourself at home and comfortable because we will be doing that this morning. Help yourself to some coffee and cookies that we have in the back. We're glad that you're here and we hope that you would relax in this place, that this place would be for young person and old alike, that this place would be our soft place to land. I intend to see that God's church, that His house is, is that for me as well, being the pastor. So let us do that together. First Peter chapter 3, find your way there. You know, growing, growing up on the farm, uh, I always felt as a young boy that there were just certain rites of passage that you would experience based on the certain types of machinery that you could operate. Uh, at a certain age, Dad would let you drive the lawnmower and you could go out in the grass and, and mow the yard, and, and that was one rite of passage. And you went up a level when you could ride the dirt bike or the four-wheeler to go around doing chores on the farm. That was another rite of passage. And uh, you really kind of went up a notch when you could drive the big tractor with the bush hog. And, uh, and you had the snow plow and you could plow snow and bush hog. That was certainly a big deal. But, but in my mind as a young person, you had really, really arrived when you could run the chainsaw. Now, the chainsaw, I mean, that's a dangerous piece of equipment. If you run a chainsaw, you know that that is, I mean, it can be a very dangerous piece of equipment to operate. And I very vividly remember the very first time that my dad let me run the chainsaw. And uh, we, we didn't use a chainsaw very often, but when the tree in the backyard came down into the yard, it was a big tree, and Dad and I went out there to take care of it. And we hadn't run the chainsaw in a while, so he lets me start it up, and we had our eye and ear protection on. And, and I remember firing it up, and I, and I lay it to the, to the first limb that I was going to cut. And because we didn't use this chainsaw very often, as many of you know, that the fuel will go bad. And it was spinning and sputtering, and it wasn't running very well. And to top that off, the chain on it was very, very dull. So I'm sitting there, and, I'm, and it's just smoking, and it's spitting and sputtering. It just wasn't running very good. So Dad says, you know what, let's take this thing back in the garage. So we take it back in the garage. We put a brand new chain on. We put some fresh fuel inside of it, and we take it back out there. And I remember the first time holding a well-running, sharp, freshly lubricated chainsaw in my hands and laying it to that first branch and it went through like a hot knife through butter and I thought well, the forest has no chance now I mean I was this is exciting if you remember when we first started this journey through the book of first Peter we talked about what the history of that book was about if you remember you'll remember that we rewound all the way back to the year 64 AD which is the Latin words anno Domini, which is the year of our Lord, 64 years after the time of Christ. And in that particular year, the emperor of Rome was the man by the name of Nero, and he didn't care for Christians. In fact, he hated them. He persecuted them terribly, and, uh, and it was a very bad time for Christians. They were blamed for the fires in Rome. All the history books that you read will talk about the fires in Rome. Christians were blamed for that, among many other things, and Nero was persecuting these Christians. Very difficult. They were 
would break up the churches. They would Many times the pastors would be burnt at the stake. I mean, it was a very bad time for them. They, they were like a spitting, sputtering chainsaw that was just not very effective. But what we learned about the book of 1 Peter was it was basically God's message of hope and instruction to those suffering persecuted Christians. And early on in the series that we started in the book of 1 Peter, we learned that God was teaching His children and, and reminding them about the hope that they have in him and if you have hope in christ this morning say amen he is our hope he is he is the the one hope that we have we learned that god was telling his children back then and now all of us that we are chosen people we are his chosen children chosen royal holy and special specifically the words that first peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 use we're chosen royal holy and special god also gave his children back then and now Special instructions about submission, about living in a world that can be hostile to Christianity. Submission to government, submission to laws and ordinances and rules, submission to our employers, submission to each other as believers, to each other as spouses, husbands, and wives. God also gave us instruction about unity. This was last week about us being this united force in the world, even if it is in a world that opposes Christianity commonly and how those, all those things work together to reach a lost world and, and what we find as we've gone through up to now it's basically been preaching about the chainsaw of, of putting a new chain on the chainsaw and reminding them that there's hope in christ and they're chosen in him and and putting fresh fuel in it and now all of a sudden this church that was really only a few decades old in the year 64 a.d they were spittering and sputtering to start but now that they've been ramped up with some good teaching and now they're they're working much more efficiently now so all the preaching up to now has been of 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 getting the chainsaw working efficiently in this church the way that it needs to be with the proper knowledge the proper doctrine and the proper practice today first peter chapter 3 look to verse 13 we see that it kind of switches it kind of switches from talking about just the chainsaw, about just the church, and now it preaches a little bit about the trees or the opposition that Christians back then were facing. There's instruction in here for us also, but it, it references the trees, if you will, to follow the analogy that we used to start with. So let's give it a read through, and then we'll break it down verse by verse and see what the Lord would have for us this morning. Chapter 3, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you? if you become followers of what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So, we've given it a read through. Look now back to verse 13. And who is he? Everyone say, who is he? Or who is they? And who is he? Who is they? Who are they who will harm you? What are they? Who is it? And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now you could imagine somebody back in the year 64 AD, somebody in the church of, of Jesus Christ that was praying back then. And they probably prayed something along the lines of, God, this is, this is a terrible time for the church. 
Nero hates us. He's murdering us. Our leaders are being burned at the stake. We're being persecuted like never before. We're being blamed for all these things that we have not done. We're trying to live peaceably, even in a world that hates us, even in a world that opposes all that we're doing. We're we're trying to live peaceably, but people still say that we're the troublemakers. God, help us. And it's almost as if the answer that God gives to somebody praying in that way is, who are they? Who are they that could harm you if you are followers of what is good? Who are they that could make even make accusation, accusations against you? Who are they? Are nothing compared to my children, my properly prepared, properly taught, obedient children? They're nothing compared to the church. They're nothing compared to the bride of Christ. They're nothing compared to me. Who are they that would harm you? And and we pray much in the same way about things that we deal with. God, this is a terrible job situation. God, God, our world, we're being persecuted as Christians in our world today, God. This, the, the way our government is going and, and, the, and the chaos we see in our world, God. This, the broken relationships that I'm dealing with, the marriage that I'm struggling in, all the things that I'm, that I'm dealing with, God. It's almost as if God would say to us also, who are they? What are those problems compared to the bride of Christ? What are those problems compared to God? Who are they so look to your neighbor and say do you have problems now look back at him and say who are they now notice here look at that verse 13 notice the if that stands in the middle and who is he who are they who will harm you if everyone say if if you become followers of what is good so you say, well, what, is, what does it mean to be a follower of what is good? Luke 18, verse 19 says, So Jesus said to them, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. We know that Jesus was God, that God is good. So therefore, if we follow Jesus, we are a follower of what is good. So I want just to make clear distinctions there that that, that if applies only to God's children. If you're not God's child, if you're not repentant of your sins, if, if you have not chosen to follow Him with your life, and the evident is just proof, the evident in your life that you have chosen to follow Him, if that's not you, nothing that I'm about ready to say applies to you. The promises of God, the promises of God to His bride, to His children, they don't apply to you because of that if. If you become a follower of what is good. So if you follow Jesus, you follow what is good. And that allows us, you and me, as God's children, to be able to say to our problems, to say to the things that are persecuting us and causing us all this heartache, we're able to say to those things, who are they? What are they compared to God's bride, to God's children, to God's properly equipped, properly trained child in the faith? Now look to verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed everyone say the word blessed now this does not make sense to you and me okay because here's what i can pretty much and i don't know this for certain but i can i'm willing to say with some confidence that i don't think anybody in the year 64 a.d that was a christian in that time under great persecution i'm willing to to say and say strongly i don't think anybody was praying and saying lord Thank you that we serve an emperor that hates us. Thank you, God, that that we're being burned at the stake and persecuted and our churches are being broken up. Thank you, God, that we're being falsely accused for all these things. I don't think anybody was praying those things, but what this verse is telling us is that when we become followers of what is good, and even if we suffer certain things for the sake of righteousness, we are 
blessed. And the same thing is true for you and me. When you and I choose to suffer for what is right, doing the right thing, not slandering when other people are slandering us, when we choose to do the right thing before God, although it does not make sense to us, the Bible tells us that God will use those things to bless us. Romans 8.28, and many of you know this well. And we know that all things, everyone say all things with me. Ready, set, go. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Now, we, you and I, similarly, and the people that, were praying, that probably weren't praying the way they were in the year 64 AD, now in the year 2020, you and I usually don't pray things like, God, thank you so much that this job is just going terribly. Thank you, God, that we live in a world that titles us with certain things that we're really not. Thank you, God, that our government is in sometimes utter chaos. Thank you that there's so much uncertainty about the future. Like, we don't pray that. In our economy, it doesn't make any sense in our economy of thinking that God would use those chaos, haphazard, struggle, trialsome types of things in our life to use as a blessing to us. But can I just preach for just a moment this morning that our economy of thinking is not God's economy of power, of thinking, of ability. It's totally different. Only in God's economy, church, does a virgin result in a pregnancy. Only in God's economy does a shepherd boy result in a dead giant. Only in God's economy does being thrown into a furnace result in your clothes not even smelling like smoke. Are you following me? If you are, say amen. Only in God's economy does two fish and five loaves result in thousands being fed. Only in God's economy does mud made from clay and spit result in someone's blind eyes being opened. Only in God's economy, church, does the sacrifice of one man result in free people at New Covenant Community Church. Everyone say amen. Only in God's economy does a crucifixion result in an empty grave. That was a good time to say amen also. So who are they? What are these trials, hardships? Who are they, persecutions and cancer and disease and broken relationships? Who are those things to God's children? They're first things that are nothing compared to His bride and to God, but they're also things that God will use, all things working together for the good of those who love God. Get this down in your soul this morning, church. There was a king years ago, and as far as I know, this is actually a true story, not a biblical story, but a true story. There was a king who decided to do a particular kind of test. He went out to a rural country road in his kingdom, and he had a, a, a hole dug, a small hole dug in the middle of the road. And then in that hole, he placed a, a, a bag of money, of, a lot of money. And then he had his servants roll a very large stone over the top of this hole so that you could not see the hole nor the bag of money which was inside the hole underneath this very large stone and he wanted to see what type of person just as a test to see what type of person would address the issue rather than just walking around it so he sets back a ways where the people going down the road can't see him and his servants sitting there and these people start walking down the road and the first person that comes by was one of the city officials with a very nice robe on and he's walking down and he makes a scowling face when he sees the stone in his way and he doesn't understand why it's there and he just kind of cusses and curses at it and he walks around and he's leading his camel behind him to get around this road and, and he just keeps on going on down the road. And then many other people came and their reactions were the same. They just kind of, why is this big rock right in the middle of the road messing everything up? They had to go around it and then a little while later a peasant man came walking by 
with a cart full of vegetables. And the man kind of stopped and looked at it, and he wasn't sure why the stone was there, but he knew it was in people's way, so he decided to take the stone, and he had to heave and push in one man. It was a very big chore to have to move this big rock. So, but he, it took him a while, and he shifted it from one side to the other, and he finally was able to big heave after he's sweating, and he, it was a big chore to get this rock off the road, but he rolls it off the road, and he looks behind him, and he sees this hole with a bag of money in it. And he picks up the money and he doesn't know where to take it or who it belongs to. And so he was able to win this reward of money. Church, what am I saying to us? What I'm saying is that when we see boulders in the road, don't immediately think that this is a curse from God. God could be using those things to bless you and to bless you greatly or to bless your family or to bless the church of God. God will use all things together for the good of those who love Him. Rewind all the way back to the year 64 AD. Many of the Christians that were burned at the stake and persecuted greatly by the rule of Nero. Years later after that, the church just exploded. As a springboard from all of that persecution, the church was blessed and blessed greatly. The name of Christ was made great through some of those trialsome moments, those boulders in the road. Now look, if you will, to chapter, to verse, excuse me, verse 14, part B, the second part of that verse and do not be afraid of their threats do not be afraid of the threats of the trees do not be afraid of the threats of the boulders in the road church do not be afraid of the threats the things in our lives cancer and disease and broken relationships and problems at work and all the things that we face and problems in school and schoolwork and friends being weird and don't let the threats of those things the verbal threats the things that remind us of those things in our life, don't let those threats trouble you church verse 15 but sanctify everyone say the word sanctify but sanctify the lord god in your hearts now the word sanctify is kind of a christianese type of a word and uh, and it's very simple meaning it's a very simple word in reality here's how i'll explain it uh you men who are married if you're a husband worth your weight in anything you have sanctified your wife in your heart she, your wife holds a special place in your heart that no other female on the face of the planet fills. You have elevated her in your heart. Ladies, likewise. If you are a, an honorable lady, you have sanctified your husband so that your husband has a role and a place in your life that does not fit the role that no man on the face of the globe can fill that role. You've elevated it. It's, it's being held as special to sanctify a thing or someone to elevate them in your heart such that they take a place that nothing else, no one else does. And what the Bible is saying is that when the threats of the problems in life would like to discourage us and cause us anxiety and depression, the antidote to that is to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, to elevate God in such a way that He holds the highest, highest, highest place of your heart. Now this is, here's where it gets tricky, is because for, for many people, and I, I found this to be true in my own life, and I think this is true for a lot of people, as we, as we have a list of the things that are sanctified in our heart, Usually number two is usually no problem. Usually it's family. Family is usually not a big deal. It's, it's your wife, your kids, your family is usually number two. The problems are number one and number three. Because we would like to have the Lord as number one, but there's usually other things below number two, and one and three go like this around number two. If you're following me, hopefully you all say amen. And for me, just to be transparent, number three is usually stupid stuff like 
and it's not stupid depending on how you talk about it, but it's like guns and four-wheelers and dirt bikes and like just it's hill jack kind of stuff. I don't know. You get the idea. And those things will go back and forth between God being number one and those things being number one. And God knows that about our fickle hearts, which is why He tells us to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts to raise Him to the level that nothing else, no one else can fulfill the role that God has in your heart. We continue on in that verse. And always, the Bible says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, when people see you sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts, when people seeing you doing that and going to church and praying before you eat and discipling your family, and when reading your Bible, which everyone should be doing every single day, when people see you doing certain things and not doing certain things, they're going to scratch their head and they're going to wonder why you're doing that, why you're doing these things before God. And they don't know the under, understand the terms and the words of sanctifying the Lord God in your heart, but that's what you're doing. And the Bible says that when people question you as to why you're doing that, we are to be able... We are to be ready and able to give a good reason for why we're doing those things. And we don't do it in a, in a, in a snooty, better-than-them type of attitude. That is not the attitude that a Christian ought to have and one that I know I'm guilty of commonly. But our attitude is with meekness and fear to be able to tell people, you know, the reason I do this is because you know, you know and I know and everybody knows when they're really honest with themselves, you know, we're not just these bags of chemistry that just boomed into nothing and then we're just going to go into the dirt and that's it no there's a soul inside of us and, and i must serve my god and jesus has saved me the bible tells me that he has washed my sins clean and i want to be serious about serving my master so we and, and we do this with meekness and fear okay god's god's intention is not to for us to ever have our faith and our practice and our doctrine as bragging rights it's with meekness and fear. God intends to reach those lost people that scratch their head and wonder why you're doing weird, strange things or not doing certain things that everyone else is doing. God intends to draw them. So with meekness and fear, we give a reason for why we are sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts. And those things, church, can I just tell you that the common way, especially for young people, when I say young people, I'm talking people my age and younger, uh, it is so common in today's world for our church life and our walk with God to be just like one foot in and one foot out. And can I just tell you that the, the fastest way to depression and anxiety from your issues in life is to, is to have a mediocre faith before God. We're to do this with meekness and fear before a world that God intends to draw. Proverbs 17 verse 5 says, He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. So we should not be glad in our hearts that it's like, whew, we got our get-out-of-jail-free card and, and the rest of the world is going to hell. No, it's, that is calamity. And we're not to be glad at people's calamity. Our hearts should be broken for the fact that there are people that not knowing Christ will spend eternity in hell. That is the truth of God's Word. So what am I saying? I'm saying when trees and boulders and issues, don't let them cause you problems. We are... God has, has sanctified us and equipped us to deal with those. Those things are nothing. Who are they compared to God is what I'm saying. And what I'm also saying is that those things that when they start speaking their discouraging, anxiety-filled voice to you, the way to fix that is to sanctify the Lord God 
in your heart. Now look at verse 16. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In the year 64 A.D., the common thing that Christians were persecuted for and the things they were blamed for was most commonly the fires that destroyed much of Rome during that time. And if you remember the story, it was outside one of the Colosseum-type concert areas is what we would equate it to in our world today. One of the shops burnt, and the fires just went raging through the city. Burnt much of the city, burnt for many, many days. It was a big issue, and the Christians got blamed for it. The reality is, is there's still no, really no way to know why Rome burned the way that it did. That was one thing they were blamed for. Another one was not paying the proper taxes to other common ones where uh, Christians were blamed for cannibalism. The outsiders not in the church would hear about Christians doing something called the Lord's Supper where they observed by taking in the flesh and blood of their Savior and they counted that as cannibalism. So Christians got blamed with cannibalism even though that was totally not the case. They also got blamed for incest because they heard people, Christians, calling each other brother and sister so-and-so. Brother Bruce and Sister Jane and Brother Brian and you know that was how they talked way back then and and even married couples would say that brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so and we know what that means we're brothers in the lord we're sisters in the lord we're siblings in the lord jesus christ we are together his children we understand that but the outside world heard that and they thought that brothers and sisters were marrying and that there was incest going on so those are the things that christians were getting blamed for back then in today's world we get blamed for racism for sexism even new terms are brought up because of christians the term homophobic and islamophobic those things predominantly came out as as labels and terms and things that christians were being blamed for so so we can identify with the church of 64 a.d here in the year 2020 and what the bible is saying is have a good conscience with your faith don't let your faith be on shaky ground don't have one foot in of the church and one foot out Make a decision and do it. Either you're in the church and you're in the body of Christ and you are God's child and you're going to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ or just get out. Don't don't play both sides of the fence. Have a good conscience about your faith. Do good works. Seek to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. When when non-Christians would say to a Christian, well, Christians are just greedy, the response of a believer ought to be something along the lines of, you know what, and we say this with meekness and fear, but you'd say, you know what, my checkbook shows the proof that I care about God. It does. Would you like to see it? And I'll show you that my checkbook shows that I care about God. Does your checkbook show that? When we have many giving opportunities, that's why I personally think it's so important when a church has different giving opportunities, it's so important for everybody to be involved with those things. Christmas gifts for kids, Thanksgiving meals for people in the community. Anytime there's something like that, sub-sales, fundraisers, all those things, anytime we have things like that going on, it's so important for everybody to be involved because God intends to use those things to put to shame the people that would say that people at New Covenant Community Church are whatever whatever the term or phrase that they would like to label us with we're to have a good conscience about our faith that we have served god that we can lay our head down on our pillow at night and know that we have served him served him fully and served him faithfully if you believe it say amen have a good conscience towards your faith and when the lord convicts you praise god people will sometimes come to me and say well pastor man that was a convicting message 
And usually my response is something along the lines of like, it convicted me long before it convicted you. But when somebody tells me that, really, I ought to just say, praise God. That's wonderful. That's the best thing that could happen. Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Whom the Lord loves, He corrects. Whom the Lord loves, He starts talking to their heart and not letting them do certain things and say certain things and be certain places. Whom the Lord loves, He'll shape and mold. And seek that. We as the bride of Christ, we should seek to be convicted in our hearts by things that we're doing that we say, God, You have our whole life. Change us. Shape us. Mold us. Don't let us be just complacent with where we're at and what we're doing. Continue to shape and mold. And and here's my heart, God. Do with it what You will. Correct me. Don't let me just continue on in presumptuous sins and I'm just going to keep on going and living the way I'm going and treating my wife the way I do and my spouse the way I do. Don't just let me keep going, God. Correct me and move me and shape me, God. And when we feel that, Praise God. It is, it is proof of our sonship in God's kingdom. Now look, if you will, to verse 17. And we'll get ready to land the plane here in just a couple moments. Verse 17. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So church, what I'd just simply like to say to you is, yes, it is true. God says, who are they to our problems Who are they? What can they do compared to God? What can they do to God's children if we become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, of what is good? But what I want to tell you, just to make sure we're clear in our understanding, is yes, God will keep us from things. And just by show of hands, how many of you know that in your life and in God's graciousness, He has totally kept you from trials and things? Raise your hand if you know that's true for you. Ah, Most all of us know that God has kept us from things. But can I just tell you, God is gracious when He keeps you from things. He was also gracious to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in that furnace. God saved them in that too. God was gracious to Daniel when he was in the lion's den. God was gracious to Jesus when He was on the cross. He's gracious to us when we're in our trials. God will be with us in those things. But can I also say this? God was no less gracious to the disciples who were murdered for their faith. God was no less gracious to them. Why? Because the death they experienced had no power over them. They were raised to life with Christ. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He was so as gracious as He was to us in keeping us from things. He was as gracious to those who He was with. Trials and burdens and the furnace and the lion's den and the cross and all the persecutions. God is gracious in those things. He's also gracious in our death as well. It's why we trust Him. It's why we love Him. Uh, Joel Osteen, who I know is a name that most of you will know, he wrote a book a number of years ago called Your Best Life Now, which seems kind of a strange title for a book because the only way that you'd have your best life now is if you were going to hell. So, uh, But basically, the gist of the book basically taught that if you just thought the right things and were positive enough, that bad things would not happen to you. And let me just tell you, that is not the truth of Scripture. It is not what God's Word teaches. What God's Word does teach, however, is that in trials, in circumstances, even if it were to result in our death, God is still faithful. Say amen. God is faithful. So church, do you trust Him this morning? Do you trust Him with your life? 
Is your life proof? Is it evident in your life? If someone that didn't know you and someone was hired to, to, to research your life, would they be able to find that you're a Christian? Would, they be, would, it, would the proof be in the pudding that you love the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm not here to tell you that your life will always be sunshine and roses and perfect, but what I am here to tell you this morning is that God keeps His own. God protects us. He will, God, he will be with us in the fire. And even if, even if we die, God has taken the power of death away for those that love Him. So the question this morning is, do you love Him? Do you love Him? Have you become a follower of what is good? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And Brian, if you would begin. Father, God, let us be a people that loves You. God, do not let us continue on with presumptuous sins. Convict us, God. Make it known that we are Your children. Make us faithful even, even in difficulties, God. Make us faithful, I pray. Oh, and God, thank You for Your Word that gives us Your instruction. You, you have equipped us. You have given us what we need in Your Word. And we thank You for that, God. God, should there be anyone here that has not settled it in their heart that they know You and that they have become a follower of what is good, draw them, God. Speak to their heart right now in this service, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Don't leave this place without settling that in your heart today. Let's sing together, Brian.